It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewing. Each week, we look at sports topics of uh, local interest, some national. We got, of course, questions from you, the Ask Skinny Anything segment. We usually have a gambling segment. We'll talk about the football games this past weekend, but college basketball has been so choppy and unwieldy and so weird that we're not going to have uh, college basketball game selections. Plus, we don't even know who's going to play, when they're going to play, if they're ever going to play. So uh, we may get into some of that um, maybe sometime into February, but it's been just such a weird uh, situation. We still got a lot to talk about, even though it's kind of a lull that's going on. And uh, Rick, the lull is in part because there is really no local college basketball at the moment. Uh, UK is is not worth really talking about. Um, NKU, yes, coming off two good wins, and, and I know they're near and dear to your heart, but from a Xavier UC perspective, it almost feels like out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, it's we're, we're back in a weird spot of the sports calendar, I guess you will, and a lot of that thanks to COVID. So really skinny, I mean, what got us through quarantine the first time will get us through this awkward period as well. We're going to the mailbag. We're going to the asking. I like it. Questions. I like it. I like it right off the bat. There are a few good ones submitted that will kind of serve as our, our main topics here to start this one off. The first one comes from Ryan and he's got a question about the Bengals. He wants to know what would skinny do this off season. If he was the Bengals GM, meaning free agency and draft and look, I, mean, I think we've avoided it since the end of the Bengals season in terms of getting into it on this show as a main topic, it's probably time. What would you do? Let's lay out the plan here for the Bengals offseason. And it's multi-purpose. And we, we outlined this actually online uh, maybe two weeks ago, maybe, maybe a little longer than that ago. Um, and it was a multi-step plan and, and it is a multi-step thing. It is first off, you got to figure out who, who are you going to let go? Who are going to be some cap casualties? I think we can agree on AJ Green's not going to be resigned, right? That's $18 million right there. I'm not resigning. I mean, I'm, I'm going to let Geno Atkins walk. And I'm going to save another $10 million in salary cap. I'm going to let Giovanni Bernard walk and save $4 million. And, and it's funny, Rick, I'm doing individual player profiles uh, just to have some content up on our website each day. And they're really short vignettes of kind of a recap of last year, where they stand contract wise, kind of where they fit on the roster going into the season. And it's going to be everybody. I mean, even the, the lowest of low players and, and where they may fit. And I just got done with the running backs day by day. And I've kind of convinced myself that Travion Williams and Samaj P. Ryan for about half the cost of Giovanni Bernard are probably worth letting Giovanni Bernard in a $4 million salary cap hit walk. Um, and, and, and some of these are tough decisions to make along the way. I had an argument with my boss about whether you should let CJ Uzama walk or not. You know, I just literally just got done with him right before we did this podcast. And if you let him go, it's about a, a $4.8 million salary cap savings. And for a position which really you throw a bunch of screens and an occasional pass in the flat, do you really want to pay a tight end that kind of money? So I think that's the first part is let, let's look at who you're going to let walk and where the cap savings are. And we came up with about, about $50 million in salary cap savings on top of what's around 40 to $43 million already under the cap. Now, it should be noted the salary cap is going to probably move and move down because of uh, you know the revenue situation this past year. But bottom line is the Bengals are going to be in a good spot for, from that perspective. So then I'm going to take some of that money, and I'm probably going to try to re-sign both William Jackson III and Carl Lawson. Um, if you go to overthecap.com or spotrack.com, they, they do a thing called a player valuation, and it's not solid gold. It's not what guys can go out and earn. It's kind of where they think they are they will be valued on the marketplace. I think Carl was, 
I want to say Carl was three years and 25 mil and Will was three years and 19 mil. I think that's a little undervalued, but again, where the cap's going to go this year, maybe not. And if I can get those two guys for that, I think I'm going to resign both. And then I'm absolutely spending whatever major money I've set aside on an offensive tackle. And there's some decent ones out there. Um, and maybe even a guard, and I'm going to solidify myself there. And maybe the offensive tackle, maybe it's a right tackle, and I leave Jonah Williams at left, or maybe it's a left tackle, and I move Jonah Williams to right. Um, so I'm I'm definitively spending money there. And then in the draft, it it it, it and I wrote the piece. And I know that I got some people on Twitter that were all upset about why they shouldn't draft Penny Sewell or any other offensive lineman number five overall. I'm not. I'm I'm still sticking to those guns. I'm I'm look. I I. I want proven offensive line help to help Joe Burrow. And I'm going to spend my money on that proven help and, and maybe even then spend some more money on a, on a pass rusher on top of it too, whether it's Carl Lawson or an extra pass rusher. I just got to see where the dollars fall, but I'm taking that fifth pick and I'm going to do one of two things. I'm either taking Jamar chase or Devonte Smith. And if neither one are there, then, then with all these teams needing quarterbacks, I can't imagine you can't parlay that fifth pick into some extra draft capital. And then yes, if you're drafting, 13th, 15th, 17th, and you want to take an offensive lineman there. I still don't think I would do it. I'm just not keen on first round offensive linemen. Um, but okay, but I'm not spending the fifth pick on an offensive lineman. So I, I think you can do a lot of things, but it all starts with who you deciding not to bring back. I think everyone would agree with you on the free agency front for the most part. I mean, obviously that's the first thing you got to sort through. And then I don't think I've heard anyone say, anything other than the Bengals have to address the offensive line this offseason and, and free agency obviously is the first opportunity to do so. And it makes the most sense because whether you agree with your point on Panay Sewell and rookie offensive linemen and whether or not there's value in, in drafting an offensive lineman, I think there's no question that getting one that already has some experience that has already proven they can cut it at this level. That's a lot more valuable. So I, I totally agree with you that, I think there, no matter what happens, they have to get one bona fide starter through free agency on the offensive yes, line. Yes, at least, at least, yes. I, I'm not talking about a, a guy who's going to come in and compete with Billy Price for no center no. or something. I'm talking about bona fide starter. guy who's yes. better than what you have right now on the offensive line. And then maybe you can find another guy that's kind of off the scrap heap kind of guy, a, an extra veteran presence just to compete. That's fine. You want to bring in a guy like that too. bring in a couple in free agency. And then I'm not against the idea of still drafting an offensive lineman, even if it's as high as the fifth pick. I know you're completely against that, but lay out one more time why you just, you do not want them drafting Panay Sol or any other lineman with that fifth pick. Yeah, and it goes back to I just I looked at the teams that were in the playoffs. Um, you know, a couple of weekends ago, it was when there were eight teams left, and out of the forty linemen that started, there were only six first round draft picks, none higher than the number ten overall. Um, I mean, look at the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line. I mean, it is a lot of uh, late round picks, a free agent signed from somewhere else, um, some development because they've got a, a couple of undrafted guys up there. And yes, they did have a first round pick in Eric Fisher, and now he's hurt and won't play in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, e each team would have really one first round pick if Eric Fisher was healthy. Fisher and then Tristan Wirfs, who was just drafted 13th overall by Tampa Bay this past year. A lot of their the Tampa Bay's linemen are, are second, third round guys. So 
Um, and I think a lot of, I mean, the, the, the Ravens, you know, for, for all that running game, all their linemen were drafted third through sixth round. Buffalo was just played in the championship game. Three of their starting offensive linemen were signed as free agents from other teams. So I, I think to me, that's the way to build it. I'm just not rolling the dice on a, on a, on a rookie who didn't even play last year um, in, in college being the, the, the fifth overall pick. I need a guy that I can feel way more confident can step in and play right away. And, and let's face it. Um, you know, track record is, is, is part of it too. You know, you start with the Cedric way draft, you know, Cedric way. He was, a was a bust. Jake Fisher was a bust. They should have been the team's two starting tackles by now. They both stunk. Um, Billy price has been a bust and, and honestly, the jury's still out on Jonah Williams. I mean, I, I'm sorry he's been hurt, but you know, I hate to, to be the guy that's going to start labeling him as the, the, you know, I, I always hate that tag of, of soft and that's not fair and that's not right. But injury prone is injury prone. I mean, he's played 10 games in two years, Rick. I mean, we're now on year three of his rookie contract, and we still don't know whether or not the guy can play. We think he's okay, but are we comparing it okay to the rest of the slop that's been on the front and, and really holding out hope that, yeah, he's okay. Um, so I, I'm just done with that. I, I want guys that have proven it in the league. I, thought, I think Buffalo's model is a great model. I think they decided, look, if we can get somebody you know in, in the draft in later rounds, we'll do it and, and roll the dice. But if not, we're going to take some proven guys in this league. And it worked out great for them. They got the AFC championship game. That's a pretty nice step. I think you have a legitimate point there about the offensive line, the evaluation process, and overall, just how much of an impact you can have as a young offensive lineman in this league. I think for anyone, even the good ones, it just takes experience and and being around to, to really get to the point where you're able to consistently hold your own. And, and, you know, uh, there, of course there are a few guys who come in and right away, they're that good, but it's pretty few and far between. And as you've mentioned, it is a crapshoot. So I saw Mel Kuyper Jr. I think he had the Bengals taking Panay Sewell in his latest mock draft at number five. Some people have had him even sliding down in the draft well past yeah, the Bengals. Yeah, Daniel Jeremiah had him at like 11 or 12. Yeah, so there have been some differing opinions recently on Panay Sewell, and that's not entirely surprising considering he didn't play this year. It seems like a lot of times, you know, if you have that situation where a guy sat out, there's a little less info out there on him at the moment. Opinions are differing. I think you get the the greater variance in terms of the the pre-draft information on guys like that. And so, that's why I got to have a home run at number five, Rick. I just got to have a home run. I'm with you on that. Um, so you mentioned the two dynamic receivers. Obviously, a lot of people have been on that train as well. Is there anything else that you would be willing to consider or that you like the idea of right now? Maybe it's specific to this draft and just a best player available type. Yeah. Maybe Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn state, maybe just because the Bengals still have never, they, they don't have an impact linebacker. Josh Bynes was, I mean, Josh Bynes was a nice find. He had a fine season. He's just, he's not an impactful player, but he doesn't hurt you either. And then none of the kids still have stood out. They, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, maybe I'm not expecting them to yet. And maybe they never will though. Um, so I might go that route, but I truly think that there's enough teams with quarterback needs that that are going to start to really have to start finagling and going, OK, if three of them are off the board and you know, let's just say one of the teams takes Sewell or Chase or Smith or whatever, um, and they're the Bengals sit at number five and it's, uh, you know, maybe maybe Justin Fields hasn't gone yet and a team covets Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, whoever, one of those one of the non Trevor Lawrence quarterbacks. Um I think you can parlay that fifth pick into to some draft capital. And I think I do that too. I mean, you need, you need quality bodies. And if you can get a couple this year and maybe one more extra pick next year in a high round, I think I'm going to do that, especially when I can look and go, 
listen, I, I'm not taking the lineman here, but there's enough tackles down in that mid teens range that I'm worth, worth taking a shot. And I still don't think I would do that. I think I'd look at a different position group, be it corner, um, be it another wide receiver, whomever, be it a line, but whatever. Um, but to me, I, I just think there's a lot of things you can do with that fifth pick. If you don't, um, if you don't take one of those wide receivers to me, it's, it's one of the two wide receivers or trade it. That, that's where I would go with it. Along the lines of trading it, uh, the Bengals, the narrative has always been that they won't do that. That's against how they like to, to work in the draft. Uh, do you think that's still a real thing or do you think they're more open to that these days? Well, I mean, they've been more open to, to, uh, to free agency. They've been more open to moving on from assistant coaches. Um, they, they've done a lot of things to help, try to help Zach Taylor succeed, right? A lot of things that they've not done before. And so maybe this is the latest in, in, that, in that vein of, uh, of maybe making a move like that. Yeah, it's certainly against what they've done. Um, it's against what they usually want to do. But I mean, if somebody comes and wows you with that fifth pick, I I'm just not wet, wedded to the. My my fear is they take Penny Sewell and he becomes what I fear he becomes, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's the exact opposite that if they do draft, listen, if they do draft Penny Sewell, I'm not going to root against him. I hope he is the next Anthony Munoz. Uh, just the 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 history is not recent history, at least, is not on the Bengals or his side in that regard. Fair enough. I'm I'm a little more flexible on the idea of drafting an offensive lineman, although I don't love the idea. I like I prefer the the scenario you laid out that you go after one of the top playmaking receivers. I think Jamar Chase would be my choice. Devonte Smith's slight frame just scares me a little bit. Yeah, I, yeah. If I had my drug, it was one of the two. I'm with I, Jamar Chase would be my my guy. I'm, I'm my fear is the Jets decide to stick with Sam Darnold, maybe go after one of the free agent veterans out there to to, to pair with him, and then they take a playmaker. And uh, and the and I think the one the top of the two is Jamar Chase. Yeah, especially coming off of the John Ross experiment, I, I would just be a little hesitant on the guy with the tiny frame. Yeah, fair enough. I, I get it. Yeah, and that's a fair that's a fair comparison. The, the track record there kind of makes you iffy too. I, I think I'm with you that um, that 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 would that would give you a little pause for sure. Yeah, the other guy that there's been kind of varying opinions about where exactly he's going to go in the draft, but a lot of times he's writing kind of Bengals zone and and still sometimes the zone if you look at them to trade back a few spots is Kyle Pitts the tight end from Florida one of those game-breaking receiver type tight ends and I'm not saying he's going to be the next Kelsey or Kittle or you know super receiver at that spot but he does have that potential I think and and that type of ability is that a thing you could see the Bengals going after yeah but they I think they'd have to make that decision on on CJ Uzama before that of whether or not you're moving on from him in the final year of his contract right because um I mean obviously Drew Sample's still gonna Drew Sample proved to be a capable player I don't think he's gonna be he's not great he's not dynamic but he proved to at least be capable so I you know if if that's the case then you will have had to make that decision to move on but then you're also rolling the dice that if you do move on from CJ Uzama and you, you know, you desperately want the tight end that you're going to get the tight end. And I, I, you know, I think at number five, they, if, if that's where they they're wedded, I think they could definitely get Kyle Pitts with that and wouldn't have to worry about it. Now, if they trade back and hope, then you've got an issue or maybe, you know, in that regard, um, you've already decided, listen, either we get, if we don't get Kyle Pitts, we'll live with it. We'll just scheme around it. Um, but I think they have to have a plan and the plan of attack. And that's where I go back to the offensive line. I think you're going to know, their interest level in Penn A. Sewell or whoever else is the offensive lineman what, with what they do in free agency. If they choose to ignore free agency, A, it's going to be stupid, which wouldn't put it past them because it's not the brightest of organizations. It's not the best run of organizations, as we know. 
But if, if they don't do anything in free agency to, to, to put an upgrade, a major upgrade at, at the tackle position, then I think it's, it's absolutely they're all in on Penny Sewell, and that's, that's, that would be my fear. All right, let's switch gears here from the Bengals across the street to the Reds. Adam asks, does the Reds front office know that there's an upcoming baseball season? A what? An upcoming baseball season. Huh. Um, I, yes, they, they do. Um, I, listen, they, they weren't going to do a whole lot in this offseason. They just weren't. I mean, I think the fear was the, the teardown. It's what you and I talked about is, is were they going to start the, the rebuild again? I, I think the good news, if I'm a fan, is it doesn't look like that's what they're going to do, at least, you know, maybe at the trade deadline, but not now. Um, they were never going to re-sign Trevor Bauer, right? We, I think we all knew that. Um, that was as pipe dreamish as pipe dreamish got. So let's put him off to the side for a second because that's a separate situation. Other than that, we were hoping they would add a shortstop. And and, yeah, and that's day, where most of the hand-wringing is coming yes, from, Yes, and, right? I, and, I, and I get that, and it's, it, it, it really sucks that really in the last you know 24 hours, Marcus Simeon's off the market, Anderson Simmons is off the market. I was looking this morning. Um, you're down to Didi Gregorius, believe it or not, Jose Peraza or Freddie Galvis. I think Friday Galvis might have signed a, a deal. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I one year oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. I think he might've. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so, okay. So now, now where are we at at that position? Are you going to turn it over to the Garcia kid and hope? Um, yeah. He signed I, with the Orioles yesterday. There we go. Okay. So I did not see that the Freddie Galvis signed. So he's off the market. So, I mean, suddenly now we're down to, to, to nobody really, um, unless you want to bring Jose Peraza back. Um, and I guess that's the disappointing part of it. Uh, I don't want two outs at the bottom of the lineup. I don't want Tucker Barnhart and whoever the shortstop is. And suddenly you look up and the bottom of the lineup is, is you know, uh, a, a one for 12 in the making almost on a daily basis. That, that, that would be my fear is that you're putting too much pressure on the, the other parts of the lineup to score runs. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I, I do think that um, I, 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 I think I'm positive about what they, what they didn't do because my fear was they were going to do some things that were going to hurt the ball club. And I don't think they've done that. Um, I think this team coming back fairly intact when the rest of the division has done nothing. Now, listen, if you look at the, if you look at the NL East and all the moves, those teams have made, just count your lucky stars that you're not, the Reds are not in the NL East. Um, and I think that's where the Reds maybe gauged it. Nobody else in the division did a whole lot. The Reds didn't sell off um major parts at this point so I, I'm, I'm kind of okay where they're at i you know i wish i could tell you it was better i wish i could tell you they signed marcus simeon i wish they had gone that route but um I, i'm okay that they they didn't do the fearful thing which was trade off guys and, and sell parts i think the the guy everyone has their sights set on now is dd gregorius he's kind of right. the only big named free agent shortstop there is do you think there's reasonable chance the Reds are going to make a run at him, or is it unlikely they're going to get a big shortstop in the free agent market? I mean, the, the word has been they were going to spend money on a shortstop. Well, tag, he's it. I mean, he's the last guy. I mean, so, you know, if, if you've squirreled your dollars away for the one guy, let's go get this done. Is there anything else that would be worth going after here with free agency money, or no, is it really no. just a shortstop? Yeah, no, just a shortstop. I mean, listen, your, your outfield is set. Whether you like it or not, it's still a – I mean, Nick Castellanos didn't go anywhere. Jesse Winker, I, I couldn't believe I was stunned. MLB Network rated him as the fifth best left fielder in the game now. Maybe he is. I mean, you know, maybe I underestimate the Jesse Wink Winker numbers that he could put up this year. You know, you signed Shogo and you got Nick Senzel in center. You got your third baseman. You got your second baseman. Right or wrong, you got your first baseman. Your catcher can't hit, but he was a gold glove winner. I mean, honestly, shortstop's it. You upgraded shortstop, then you can carry Tucker Barnhart's bat. You can carry aging Joey Votto's bat. Um, D.G. Gregorius could fit, you know, anywhere 
anywhere middle of the order to sixth in the order. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with him. And so I, I, I think on paper, this club is going to be fine, especially when you compare it to the rest of the division. Do you think it's unreasonable for the, the fan base to be getting so impatient right now? Or is this just, yes. Yeah. A little, a little bit. Um, uh, because I mean, again, wh- where, where did you want them to spend? Where did you think they were going to spend? Did, did I mean, honestly, Rick, I, I'm not asking you, I guess I'll ask you to answer it for, for people. I mean, did anybody really think they were resigning Trevor Bauer? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that was unreasonable, especially when, you know, you're talking about they're thrown out there that he might get the biggest contract out of all of baseball. And that was later debunked, but it still sounds like four years, 30 million a year. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, Garrett Cole, that's Garrett Cole territory, which was record record per year territory. Yeah. That's what they're talking about is that he could approach those numbers. Not yeah. he's, he's the offer. Wasn't more than that. And hey, listen, it, 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 you, you can't expect the, the Reds aren't, can't play that game. No, it was unreasonable to even think that they would be in contention after this year for him. Quite honest. I mean, like looking back when we were, talking about at the end of the season it almost feels silly to to think that they would have had a chance to do so now that we really look at where they were at and where he was at in terms of the numbers and and everything else I think we were holding out hope that he had that quirky idea about signing those one-year contracts the rest of his career and maybe maybe get away with that right yeah that he thought he could spend one more year in in Cincinnati because they had a chance to compete but that does not seem to be the case so yeah I, I do think there's there's probably an unreasonable amount of hand wringing for lack of a better term by the fan base right now. But I also get when you see that, that there is an opportunity and you hear the plan in the off season to spend money on a shortstop. And then you see all the shortstops go off the board. Except sure. For one. And, and, I, and, I get and, where people are coming from on that. Yeah. I, I get that one too, but I mean, other moves that were going to be made. I mean, you weren't going to probably spend for a pitcher. Um, you, you felt, listen, if you're going to let Trevor Bauer walk, there's a reason. And you, you know, you're, you're right or wrong. You feel okay about your rotation. The Archie Bradley one's a little weird to me that they let him walk, especially when you saw him sign a, what a one year, $6 million deal with Philly. I think I'd have been okay with an Archie Bradley one year, $6 million deal here. That, that, that one leaves me puzzled just a bit, but position player wise. I mean, I just went around the positions. Um, I, you know me, I'm not a big Tucker Barnhart fan, but the guy did win a gold glove. Listen, you're paying the first baseman whether you like it or not, and so guess who's got to be your starting first baseman because of that? You just spent money on the guy starting at second base last year, Mustakas. Your third baseman signed for a very team-friendly deal, and I, I do expect him to have a huge bounce-back season. You're paying Castellanos a good piece of change. Winkers, I just mentioned, is now pretty highly rated by a lot of folks, and I guess rightfully so if you look at his numbers. And the Senzel Akiyama situation in center, okay, I mean – where else did you think they were going to add a bat, right? I mean, there was only one position that they really looked to need to fill, and that's shortstop. And I, I guess they still can do it if they get Gregorius. And I, I you know, if they do that, then I, I think they've they've made a major upgrade there. Then, yeah, I mean, I think you could maybe be hopeful about the idea that they might bring in some type of starting pitcher to help replace Trevor Bauer. But realistically, that probably was never going to happen. So no, yeah, I, mean, I mean, cause you got Castillo, you got you got Sonny Gray, you got Malley. And, and you did sign Wade Miley last year, and that's four. And so then they're talking about Lorenzen as a starter, TJ Anton. Now we're at five and six. Are you going to spend more money on another guy? You just, I mean, at some point you just, the, the, the money is an ad infinitum. And I know everybody blames owners. Oh, they, they can spend what they want. I'm not spending their money for them. Um, I, listen, I, I think the Reds have put together a representative product. My fear was that they were going to tear it down. They did not. So I think that's a win. 
It was reported by multiple outlets on Tuesday that the Mets have made a formal offer to Trevor Bauer and are the current front runner to land the star pitcher. A lot of that being due to the New York market and his desire to build a, a brand for his YouTube channel and, and life after baseball. The New York Post reported that the offer would likely pay Bauer north of $30 million per year for at least four years. Do you think he's worth that skinny being that – you know, he was really struggling when he came to the Reds. He really struggled that second half of the year that he was with the Reds uh, two years ago. And then he was just great for a shortened 60 game season. Yeah. I mean, listen, that, that feels like you're really rolling the dice if you're going to sign him for multiple years, um, especially upwards of four years. Um, plus, he's a loose cannon who God knows what he could do on Twitter. I mean, I, I didn't realize that whole situation with the girl in, in Texas. Did you? Yeah, we, we had actually talked about that when the Reds first gotten it for signed him, believe it or not. Or, I, I guess I forgot that about great. that whole I, I guess I forgot about that whole incident. Holy cow. And especially in light of the Mets GM um, you know, sexting that 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 reporter. Um Yeah, no, not, I think I think he is very different in that regard. It, it, I don't it, think it, he's it, like it a is, creepy guy. It, it, I, it, it is, but that's awful harassment in nature for an underage girl. I'm yeah, sorry. It and, is. And that's why sometimes I almost wonder if like Trevor Bauer's on the spectrum in some regard, because like there's certain things with him that just don't seem to register. He seems to have some major. He's got a, a little bully in him. Major issues. Communi- well, I think it's kind of like he was a kid that was bullied, too. You know, I think he's a kid that doesn't always or a guy that doesn't always get interpersonal communication and what normal relationships look like. I think he's super intelligent. You know, oh, I, do. Oh, I definitely think that and I, I think I don't discount that. Yeah, I think it's part of that. So I, when you see the way his mind works, I'm watching his YouTube channel really was kind of eye opening to who this guy is and, and what he's about. And he is an interesting, interesting character. I think my biggest concern with Trevor Bauer would be what are his plans with regards to this whole spin rate thing? Because he's very clearly admitted he did something different this year to achieve a higher spin rate of about exactly 400 or 500 revolutions per minute or whatever it is that they they judge that by. He has said in the past that he knew he could do it by the exact amount that he bumped it up this year if he were to use a foreign substance on the ball, like pine tar, for instance. And that that's exactly what guys like Garrett Cole and other top pitchers in the game had done. Bauer does it this year. He has admitted online before where he said, I didn't use pine tar, but I did do something. I mean, he's been pretty open about this, that the game doesn't want to stop cheating. And if they're not going to, then what is a guy like him left to do? And right. But what, but what, but what year, if, yeah. But what if the game does? Yeah. What if the game decides it does want that? And then he's not the same pitcher that he is right now. Right. Well, and then well, that's my, up and you spent a whole lot of money for a cheater. That's my question. And I think, Trevor Bauer is savvy enough to get away with whatever this is that, I mean, I think he's right. The The league is clearly not cracking down on the foreign substance thing because there was guys like Garrett Cole constantly being caught oh, going I, but, to the cap. The thing is though, that they, they may, if, if listen to me, if, if scoring continues to go down and we continue to get to this three level outcome and TV ratings continue to slide and fans start, stop going to games because they want to see more offense, they'll do something. Well, it's a, it's actually something that they may need to really look into because you know, as much as we've talked about the shift and hitters being all strikeout or nothing guys and all wanting to hit too many home runs, I think a big part that has been overlooked is the fact that a lot of these pitchers are using some type of foreign substance to get a higher spin rate, which makes it much harder 
to put the ball in play, much easier to miss bats. And that is contributing to a lot of the home run or strikeout culture we have in baseball too. So uh, yeah, I mean, what it, if you, if you look into this stuff right now, there is all types of, I mean, there are stories out there. Just look into it. There are guys around the sure. league who have made a business, a side business out of combining different substances that give the ball more tack and, and stick to it. And, you know, there's guys that have been caught sending text messages asking for some type of substance from locker room managers of other teams and things like that. And they've turned them in. So there, there is a, a huge subculture here in baseball that's around guys using foreign substances on the ball to get a higher spin rate. Trevor Bauer was pissed about it. He called guys out for it for years. The MLB did nothing. And then in his free agency year, he all of a sudden saw his revolutions make a huge increase, which he had previously told us he knew he could do if he used a foreign substance on the ball. So that would be my biggest question. If I'm about to sign this guy, is like you said, wait, are you going to keep doing this? What are you using to do this? What's the plan going forward here? Because I could totally see Trevor Bauer saying, I'm going to go get paid in this uh, free agency year in a 60 game season. I'm going to go ahead and cheat, get my money. And then I'm going to go back to try and do it the right way. Because yeah, no, right. Yes. I guess guy. No, that's a great point. I, I could see that too. Absolutely. I guess that would be my biggest concern with signing him to a monster Garrett Cole type deal is at least you knew Garrett Cole was uh, keeping it on the down low and just going to continue to try to cheat. Trevor Bauer has been trying to call this whole thing out and, and bring everyone down to a, a level playing field the whole time. So who knows what he's going to do with it? No, that's, that's, and that's a, I think that's a legitimate point. Uh, I, I said that in the steroid era. Um, I was always a big believer. If, if I was a player who opted not to do that and I always use Brett Boone as an example. I mean, Brett Boone got all jacked up and hit 40 home runs one year. If I'm a second baseman back in that era, that was a, you know, good player. Let's say I was a 285 hitter with a 750 OPS and 16 homers and uh, could play some defense. And yet I couldn't make the kind of money that a guy that got, I, I think I'd start calling people out and say, listen, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, because it's affecting my bottom line. Maybe you're right. That's what Trevor Bauer said. Okay, if you're going to do it, I'll just I'll just affect my own bottom line. I'll get paid. And, and then you know what? I will go back to doing it the right way because now I got mine. I, I don't I don't care. I don't have to cheat anymore. And, and you're right. I, I could see him doing that. Yeah. And he's and he's a guy who has created this extra platform to where his word does carry more weight nationally and in the media and everything, because he he understood how the internet worked too. You know, he has controlled his narrative uh, throughout this whole free agency process. They've him and his agent have released updates through YouTube and everyone's had to just watch their videos to find out what's really going on with his free agency. They've been very transparent about it all. He's doing things differently from any other baseball player, certainly that we've ever seen. And really, I don't know that there's a whole lot of athletes who have done it this way in the past. So he is a bit of a loose cannon He's not playing by anyone else's rules, I don't think. And I don't know that you can control that guy or or uh, really <laughs> understand him either. So I think it's a risk. I, I, I mean, I think he's talented enough that if he continues to do what he did last year, whatever that was, he can be the best pitcher in the game. But I'd also be very concerned about investing a ton of money into him long term. I'm with you. All right. Uh, for the second time in the last eight years and the ninth time in 77 total years of balloting by the Baseball Writers Association of America for the National Baseball Hall of Fame, no candidate received the amount of votes necessary to gain election to the game shrine. Skinny, do you have an issue with that? I, I do and I don't. All right. So so let, let, let's play two games here. The one game is, do you believe the steroid era guys should be in? 
And there are plenty that will say yes, because they all played by the same rules in that era. So if you're a believer in that, then 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 I do think it's wrong that nobody got voted in. That I do think that the Barry Bonds and the Roger Clemens and the Sammy Sosas, etc., should be in. All right, but if you do play the game, so I'm going to go down the list of guys um, this year in the voting process. If you do believe that those guys cheated the game, they cheated their way into the Hall of Fame, and in good, and it's your own conscience, and you have to vote that way as a voter that you believe they should not be in. Here's the guys: Kurt Schilling, people thought he was a Reuter. Bonds, Clemens. Scott Rowland wasn't, but was Scott Rowland really a Hall of Famer? So, I mean, I want to go through some of these guys, honestly. I mean, I'll ask you, Scott Rowland, Hall of Famer? Well, in my opinion, no, but I am fascinated to see how this that whole narrative is playing out because he had a huge jump in the voting. It now looks like it's inevitable that he is going to get in. And when I read the recaps and the baseball writers talking about it, they all seem to be like, totally on board that he's a no doubt hall of famer and he's totally disrespected yeah, in that regard. I, I just have always felt like if, if, if that you was the case, hall of famer, Rick, you are one of the clear best players yes. at some point during your career. And not at any point during Scott Rowland's career, would anyone have looked and said, he's, he's one of the best players in baseball. He's one of the two or three best players in baseball. No, I mean, he had a great long career, but it's not the hall of great. That's right. The hall that, of fame. That's and right. And that's yes. I, well I do not understand that now I don't have a huge issue with like Scott Rowland getting in. He seems like a great guy. He was, you know, he played for the Reds. It's cool and everything. I have nothing against Scott Rowland. I just do not understand people being like, yeah, he's clearly, he's clearly the guy, especially out of some of the names, like the idea that Barry Bonds would not be in the hall of fame, regardless of what you believe. And Scott Rowland would, it'd be like, well, what story is this hall of fame supposed to tell? Well, no, and, and I think that the thing for Barry Bonds is really uh, the most interesting one of all because Barry Bonds, before his head swelled up to size 97, or whatever it swelled up to, um, he put up Hall of Fame numbers before you believe, believe whatever that line of demarcation of him juicing was. I mean, he was, a, he was almost a 400-400 guy before any of that, and that's clear-cut Hall of Fame. I mean, right. <laughs> so he, he's probably the, the, the outlier to all of this. I think Clemens is too because I think Clemens, before any of this happened, was probably a clear-cut Hall of Famer. But I'm going to go through the rest of some of these guys. And just, again, some of the guys that, that didn't juice her in this category. All right, Omar Vizquel, nice player. Yeah, Billy Wagner, Helton. nah. Todd Helton, nah. Wagner, I could potentially see based on some of the other relievers that I've gotten in, but go ahead. Yeah, Gary Sheffield, love Gary Sheffield. Yeah, no. really good player in his era. I mean, really great player in his era, but never fell. Andrew Jones. Jeff Kent. Andrew Jones is another interesting case to me. Good player. He didn't have the longevity is, I think, the thing that hurts him. But, I mean, he's maybe the best defensive center fielder we've ever seen. Yeah. No, he's up there. He was superb. Um, Jeff Kent, nice player. Man Ram Ram falls into the Royd category. Sammy falls in the Royd. Andy Pettit, eh, he he obviously fell into that category. And then we're down to the Mark Burley's Toy Hunters of the world, and and they're not even close. There's a lot of people that have an issue that that I believe there were 14 ballots, Rick, and I think that's the right number. It's close to that. 14 ballots returned with not one single name on it. Do you have an issue with that? It doesn't bother me that that's a possibility that people would decide, hey, there's no one worthy of a vote this year. But in practice, like with this specific year and the guys that are available to vote for, I I would have a hard time finding no one on that list that I could put in the Hall of Fame. And again, I, I you're right. I mean, you have to go into the whole morality thing. They are asking the baseball writers to 
assess morality in this for some reason. And they want them to factor in like the steroid thing. And even now with Kurt Schilling, they want them to fact them to factor in what is the guy said, you know, off the field. And is he making uh, comments that would be deemed as, I guess, racist or homophobic or things like that, which you cannot like people for that. My, my can, goodness, Ty Cobb, for goodness sakes. I, that, I, that's the thing. I just don't understand the idea of the Hall of Fame trying to police that. And then also the unevenness and kind of unfairness of that, because that would totally be a newer concept to how they are doing this vote. That has not been a thing in the past. So I have a major issue with that. I would not be trying to decide whether the, and, you know, I think there's a difference too between, steroid usage and whether you want to keep those guys out for maybe a more legitimate reason because hey without cheating they weren't a hall of fame level player versus a guy like a kurt schilling who whatever you think about him either way i don't really care whether he's a hall of fame type guy or not the idea that he would be held out because of his political views and his stupid mouth i think is a ridiculous concept so i have a major issue with that side of it i don't have a problem with the idea that writers could decide, Hey, I don't think anyone is worthy this year. I think that's a, that's a good concept for a hall of fame to have. But then when you go to the baseball writers association, you realize that some of the dorks you're dealing with and how seriously they take their role as gatekeepers in the situation. Then yeah, I, I tend to think they're being a bit clownish. Uh, all right. So lastly, what, 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 what do you do with the steroid guys? You, I put them in, I put them in if they're okay. if they're good enough. I I just don't think that's something you can really parse through, especially when it was such used so, so rampantly in your sport. It's really just a part of your sports history at this point, and it sucks. And, and there's been different eras of that, right? There was the AstroTurf era where teams were running and not trying to hit home runs, and fences were moved way back. And then there was the the you know the new the new stadiums that were built and built for home runs, and um, kind of coincided with the steroid era. So I, I yeah, and that's yeah, where I'm kind of at with that. There's just different, there's just, just different eras. The there's right, eras where right. they moved the mound down because pitchers were yes, too right, dominant. Like, right. There's been all types of different stuff, and that doesn't necessarily that's not the same as guys flat out cheating. I understand that. That is a little bit different, but still at this point you policed it so poorly and you made it such a big thing. You, and you go back to like the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire year and everything. It's part of your sports DNA. I think you got to tell that story too. Now at this point, yeah, but I mean, I, even at that, you go back to the Whitey Ford scuffing bait guys having scuffing baseballs on oh, guards. I mean, and yeah, I mean, the so stuff I, we're talking I, about with the pitchers now. I mean, right. it's very obvious that a lot of these pitchers are cheating and they've been caught and there's a slap on the wrist for it. But basically, you just get thrown out of the game. And, and I mean, there were there were, there were there were cork bats and guys putting tennis balls in the end of bats. I mean, everybody's always been trying to get an advantage in this game. I mean. You know, there's there's the allegations of the of back in the polo ground days where the Giants would flat kind of the old sign stealing thing of the Giants flashing signs from some dude sitting in the scoreboard in center field. Yeah, you uh, don't actually have to go back that far to find a cheating scandal in baseball. Uh, no, right. right. Signs. I, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of come around in that regard that, listen, you just compare what they did in certain eras. And listen, even though there were there was clear cut, I mean, guys roided up. Um, it wasn't just the batters, right? I mean, the, some of the pitchers were too. So, like, you know, would be a, a you know would be a great part of the Hall of Fame is a, a Barry Bonds model hat from when he first started versus when he finished his career, and you can try it on and see the difference between the sizes, and and you can explain what steroids did. And the the this this hat barely fits fits on my head, and this hat covers it all the way down to my mouth. Right, he went from a seven and quarter to an eight and three eighths. I mean. Come on, you know, like 
that yes i i think that's the the my thing with it is just let me the hall of fame should tell me who were the absolute best players in each era and what was that story even if right. the story is hey this guy was a cheater and that's what you put in on his bust i'm fine with that like i have right, no correct. issue with the telling the story accurately but the best player should still be in in the hall of fame because in my opinion the hall of fame is there to, to be a historic thing Rick, where it, you, it tells you, the record listen, of the sport. You, you didn't, you didn't wipe their records out. You didn't wipe their numbers out. You didn't eliminate, you know, what they did in whatever specific seasons they did. They are a matter of factual record. I mean, if you, if, if baseball wants to take that degree, okay, that you want to do that, then okay, let's play that game. But you, but you're not, you're not going to do anything in retrospect. So leave it as is and, and call it what it is at the, at the time that they did it. It just different eras. One more quick baseball topic here before we move on. The Major League Baseball Players Association has turned down the latest MLB proposal for the universal designated hitter and an expanded playoff format. The union stance has been all along that it did not want to talk about a trade of the universal DH, which benefits a group of players in return for expanded playoffs. Nonetheless, MLB included the two items in its proposal, and that concept has been turned down, according to multiple reports earlier this week. So... Skinny, what what do you think about the rule changes? We had them this past year for the shortened season. Did you like the idea of designated hitter being in both leagues and the expanded playoff with 16 teams? Yeah, I did like the expanded playoffs. I don't know I why. did too. I, I thought it was awesome. And maybe we were just so starved for sports at that time that we were taking what we could get, but I, I liked it. I don't I, think it I don't think it um I don't think it watered anything down in my opinion. I don't think it um I, it wasn't like guys had to play an extra 15 games. Um, you know, for some, it was an extra game or two. Uh, so it, it, it really wasn't that much of a factor. It, it's unfortunate. It's kind of like a lot of uh, laws and bills and stuff to try to get passed where they put all kinds of different riders on it. And that's why sometimes they don't pass because you throw onto a, a bridge bill, some bill that, that somebody wants passed and you go, no, I can't pass these all together. So the bridge bill gets cut out. I mean, I think in this regard, I think they should have done it as a couple separate issues there. Uh, you know me, I, I, I like different rules for different leagues. I think that's kind of cool. I know you're completely against it, and I understand your opinion on it. Um, I just have always liked just the fact that there's a different way that National League Baseball is played from American League Baseball with a pitcher batting, and I have no problem with that. I'm surprised, and I, I, I get the reason, you know, because these things are tied together, unfortunately. But I'm surprised the Players Association don't understand that 16 extra players – are going to have a chance to maybe have elongated careers by being a DH in a National League city. That that sounds stupid to me. It sounds counterproductive to me. Just because you you balked at the expanded playoffs, that sounds extraordinarily counterproductive. Yeah, and and again, I don't think this is the end of these discussions. I don't either. Yeah, I think yeah, they I don't are either. clearly trying to separate them. So right. we'll see what happens going forward. But with regards to the 16 teams in the playoffs, I mean, really, the Reds were the only argument against that in the sense that they didn't show up at all for their series and kind of embarrassed themselves. Well, but, but yeah, not from a, I mean, the, the, the aces were, were, were ace like they just didn't hit. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, the, the reds didn't even make it a series and they looked like they didn't belong in that expanded playoff. But I think for the major league baseball, one of the big issues you have is I always say is, is a sport best followed by watching your team 162 games or you know last year's 60 games whatever but however long the season is it's best by just watching your team and when half the teams are out of it by the all-star break or shortly thereafter it kind of takes away from the interest of the sport nationally because you have so many fan bases that are 
just totally disengaged. And I think when you have, you know, like the Reds, who a city that's constantly seems to be out of the mix for extended periods, it, it really helps to have that, that opportunity. Like last year, they weren't playing well, but because of the expanded playoff, well, they're still going to be able to back their way in. That's what we kept saying. They're going to, there's, they're still probably going to get in just because of the expanded playoff and then they'll be dangerous. And at least that created some hope, some interest yes, that right. extended yes. into the season a little farther. I, I think it's worth it just from that perspective to keep more fan bases engaged with your sport longer throughout the course of the season and give them a little bit more hope in, in those cities. Yeah, no, I, I, I do too. I, I, I had no problem with it. And again, like I said, maybe we were just starved for sports, but it also, it also gave me more reason to kind of watch baseball at a time when I normally kind of tune out. I, I think it is worth it to, to keep the expanded playoffs. And then I am, I am totally on board with the DH. I think it's a silly thing not to do it. Uh, we saw it this year. It benefits players. I think the that, fans wanted at this that, point. And, that, and that's the that your arguments throw look, listen, I'm doing it from a traditional standpoint. I just I just like two different leagues with two different rules. But I, I just, yes, your your argument's the one that I can't believe the players association doesn't doesn't uh abide by because it is keeping some guys' careers afloat. So it is helping some players in your players association. That make, makes logical sense to me. Yeah, and also I I I don't really get the argument other than just hey, it's the way it's always been, and I like it. I sure. like it that way, and I don't like change because the whole the whole idea that oh, it adds strategy to the game is just silly. Like get off my on. get off my lawn. I love the double switch, but but it's like there's an art there's an art of the double switch. No, no there's not though. Skinny like anyone can do it. It's not complicated. It's, I love the double switch. It's literally just moving your batting order slightly. I mean, it's right. it's putting two guys in at the same time. Right. Anyone can do it. Love I, it. I, I just, yeah, I, I do not buy the argument that it, it plays into strategy or anything of the sort. It's no, it's just a silly I, thing I, that I, old timers say. No, your argument is way better than mine. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I, I, like I said, I'm just doing it from, from, I like two different leagues with two different rules, but I just can't believe the players association would say, ah, yeah, you know, even though 16 other guys could stick around in DH in the national league, yeah, to hell with them. Yeah. I, I think eventually that gets, I can't believe that doesn't get passed eventually. I think it will too. I think they'll, they'll come back to that. So we'll see how it goes down. I mean, those two sides are so contentious after their negotiations this past year. I don't think anything's going to be done easily. So uh, that that'll probably be a drawn out process. That'll be very public again. All right, let's get down to our betting segment where really we're, we're kind of not going to actually give out any picks this week just because, as you mentioned at the top of the show, no football this week. And when it comes to the basketball games, uh, we're just hoping teams get back into action. And can, can, we'll, can, I, can I give you a bad beat from the weekend before we talk about the football games? I would love to hear about your bad beats because I got absolutely crushed okay. all weekend. Um, I ended up actually doing okay thanks to a prop bet in the uh, – and I told you the prop bet I won on. I had Leonard Fournette to outrush Aaron Jones at plus 155, and I don't make many prop bets, but I did make that one. So that one that one kind of put me in the win column, not by much, about $30 worth of wins. So most of the stuff was, was football-related, but I you know usually put, a, put whatever in the machine, and then you have a little bit left over. I'm like, I'll make a couple co- quick college basketballs. It was a Saturday late afternoon. I'm like, I'll, I'll make a couple of these. So made one for some late-night games, and then well, I didn't really even – look at it till the next morning woke up the next morning and i went down my list i got it was a five team no six teamer no five teamer six teamer take it back because i won five of the six i went oh winner 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 outright i had like four of underdogs and then i'm down to the last game washington state getting 10 and a half against colorado i look it up and colorado wins 70 to 59 half point bad beat loser right it gets worse when i went and read about the game and realized that washington state at home getting 10 and a half 
led Colorado early in that game, 23 to five. Unbelievable. So at that I, that's point, that's a brutal I'm, I'm beat at, right there. No question. Thank God you weren't watching that. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I lost yes. your mind. Oh, I lost my marbles. No question about it. And it was only, you know, $10 to win whatever. But still, <laughs> I mean, oh, my goodness. So, yeah, that was that was my bad beat from the weekend. That's why I have kind of stayed out of the college basketball game this this season. It's just too tumultuous. It's just too unwieldy. And I just have kind of stayed away for the most part. It is. I had a uh, a one and a half line where a team won by one this weekend in college basketball mm. as well. So mm. I feel your pain on the hook. And uh, then when it comes to the NFL, I just got absolutely killed. And that's exactly what you needed. We we only had four picks on the two NFL games last week. The the spread and the over for each game, or the spread and the total for each game. I go one and three. You go three and one. And skinny, wouldn't you know that you're exactly two games behind me? So. Heading into That's the Super Bowl, the That's final crazy. game after well over 200 picks this season between <laughs> us, we are deadlocked it, going into the Super Bowl. Wait, what are, are we just above 500 then? Just under 103, 104, and six. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. Yeah, the Bills didn't 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 help me on my. I did hit a Tampa uh, over two teamer. I did, as I mentioned, I had the Leonard Fournette outrushing Aaron Jones, but then I was. I had Tampa over Buffalo money line. I had Tampa over. Um, oh, I take back. I had Tampa uh, and and Buffalo in a reverse teaser. So it could have been a huge day, and turned out to be just a little bit of a thanks to the prop and, and the two team parlay, a, a, a winning one, but not a big one. Let me ask you about Tom Brady real quick here. What what do you? Yeah, think- so Tom Brady went to Jacksonville. Jacksonville would be in the Super Bowl next year. The Jets <laughs> are the only team he could go to and not 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 win. That's the only one. What did this mean for his legacy, regardless oh. of whether he wins it or not? I mean, his legacy was already cemented, and it then he cemented it in in gold. I mean, I, look, I know he's got some nice parts around him, but it wasn't like they went out and did 9,000 things to improve their football team. They did some things. I mean, bringing Fournette in was a nice get, and he looked very fresh. Um uh, you know, I mean, they went and got Antonio Brown, but he didn't play in Sunday's game. So he was a non-factor. I mean, he won it with the guys that were already there, the Scotty Millers and Mike Evans is obviously a, a pro bowl level receiver, but Mike Evans was already there. Um, listen, uh, and, and he did it despite the fact that honestly, he almost cost his team the game in the second half by throwing interceptions, but he, he cemented it in gold. I, I mean, the whole narrative when, when he left was, all right, let's see, let's see who benefits, who benefited most from each other. Did Belichick benefit from Brady or did Brady benefit from Belichick? I think we know the answer now, don't we? Well, that's the biggest thing to me is the only narrative there was out there against Tom Brady, even slightly was the idea that it was the Patriot way. And it was that franchise is just special. And Belichick is a genius and all of that. And I think he is obviously, I think he's a tremendous coach, but maybe Tom, Tom Brady made him look pretty damn good. Didn't he? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still about having the best quarterback in the history of the sport. And Tom Brady has so clearly proven that. And the biggest thing to me was this was just like the last, what, five to seven years with the Patriots. Like you get midway through the season. People are like, uh, yeah, it's yeah. the end of Tom Brady. He yep. just doesn't have it anymore. Well, remember, the, remember, the, remember that was it. I don't know if it was a Thursday night game or a Monday night game. It was a primetime game. The, the one against the bears where remember the famous photo of him showing, couldn't believe it was fourth down and he yeah. messed it up and he's losing his mind. And uh-oh, people are like, go. Oh, this is embarrassing for him. Can't believe how far he's fallen <laughs> off. Uh, yeah. Didn't fall off very far. Did he? 
Yeah, and then at the end of the year, that's the biggest thing to me is this this is not Peyton Manning with the Broncos. You know, this is not a situation where this isn't even Drew Brees with the Saints this past right. year, like where he right. can't get the ball downfield. Tom Brady can still take the top off the defense. Dude, that throw to, to Scotty it. Miller was absurd. Now, granted, it was a terrible defensive situation by Green Bay, and Mike Pettin put him in a terrible spot to be in man coverage there. But what a throw, man. I mean, yeah. that's only, it was fabulous. The first touchdown of Mike Evans, that poor cornerback, the King kid, he jumped at the wrong time and it looked awful because he missed time to jump. But yeah, the ball was perfectly thrown. Yeah, he, he's he made. And again, yeah, he had the interceptions in this game. I get it. But like overall, the last four five, six weeks, whatever it's been, the dude has been awesome. He's been, yep. again, one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL. Even if you go look at the numbers, they'll say it too. Like, it's not just, this isn't just the eye test or us blowing a, a guy who's who's uh, a, a, one of the greatest of all time. I have never been a Tom Brady guy, but I can't help but watch what he's doing this year with Tampa Bay and be like, this is incredible. I can't believe this guy is still doing it like this. And I mean, I think just him getting back to the Super Bowl in this first season with a new team and it being the Bucks and and us having just the, the stark contrast between what they were last season and what they were this year with him has done more for his legacy than his fifth and sixth Super Bowl rings with the Patriots, in my opinion. I think this, like you said, totally plates his legacy in gold, if you will. Uh, it's just unbelievable what he's done this season at this age. Is this the best quarterback matchup in Super Bowl history? And I know I'm probably asking you to try to go yeah, through your I mean, through your mind. Yeah, I mean, I think if I don't know if because I think we the can, I think, their powers, but they're still like so damn good. And in terms of all time, yeah, I think it's the best two quarterbacks we've ever had in the game in terms yeah, of Mar- where they stack up all time. Marino Montana in '84 was pretty good, obviously. Oh damn, paper. that is a great that, one. That, that's a great one. But I, but here's the thing: well, Brady's the best of all time, man. But, the best but, of all time. But listen, Marino never won one and never got back. Um, Pat Mahomes now is looking for two in a row. Brady's going to his 10th. I, I, I was on a, a different radio show this week and I, I, they asked me kind of that question. So that's why I kind of asked you. Um, I don't see how it isn't really. Well, yeah. And here's the thing. I said, yes, it's the greatest of all time versus the greatest of all time because Tom Brady is the goat and Patrick Mahomes is well on his way to being every bit as good, if not better. And just from a sheer arm talent, raw talent perspective is clearly in my, my opinion, the, the, the greatest quarterback I've ever seen, just in raw talent. I think it's the greatest of all time versus the greatest of all time. I think Brady would be the first to tell you that Mahomes has a lot more ability and, and physical tools than he did. Now, I don't think he would tell you he's a better quarterback than no, he right, is, but he would right. tell you that he has way more to work with in terms of his ability. So, yeah, I don't I don't think that's unreasonable at all. And like I said, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is clearly at the height of his powers. Brady, not at the height of him anymore, but he is the best quarterback of all time. I don't see how it couldn't be considered the best quarterback match of all time. I like that, that storyline now that you've brought it up. And really, had it been Brady and Aaron Rodgers, or well, it couldn't have been Brady and Aaron Rodgers, but well, Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes wouldn't have been bad uh, either. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes would have been a, a tremendous matchup as well. So uh, that is a good point. We'll talk much more about the Super Bowl next week, obviously, when we give you our picks for that. But uh, were there any other takeaways for you from the NFL games this past weekend? Yeah, the only other one was the, the decision to kick the field goal by Green Bay. I, it's I'm so still, bad. It's, it's so perplexing to me. I, I mean, I'm glad I, it happened because I won my my wager because of that. But I, I was actually I'd done. I was taping my TV segment early that night and uh, was driving back while that was going on. And 
I kept thinking when, when they said the field goal teams, I thought, and I didn't hear what the time was. I knew what the time was when they kind of started that drive. So you kind of had that in your mind and it was Kevin Harlan. who's was a good play by play guy, but he never really updated much of the time during that drive. So when they sent it out, I'm like, wait, there can't be more than two minutes to go. What, what are you doing? You're going to have to stop them anyway. Um, you know, why not take one more crack down at the eight yard line? And if you don't make it, you, you still got to get the stop. And, and even then, if you do, you're going to have good field position probably with the stop. Um, it just, it, uh, it's mind boggling. That was a mind boggling decision in my opinion. It, it is. It, the only reason you're in the position you're in is because you have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. The, uh, to not understand what the best quarterbacks mean in this sport and what they are capable of doing. And time and time again, how we talk about last team with the ball, or you don't want to give it to Brady in the last minutes. You don't want to give it to Rogers in the last minutes. We've seen it time and time again happen. And yet you're going to go down with your defense. If you're green Bay and say, we're going to put it on our defense to make the big play and get the miracle stop and get the ball back for us. As opposed to, I'm going to give Aaron Rodgers a chance to go be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and make a, a special play. How is that the logic that coaches use? Whatever stupid math they're doing in their heads or whatever analytics are telling them, to which I don't even think the analytics would support this decision, I don't either. by the way. I don't either. Uh, I, I, I just don't get how you don't respect what the quarterback position means. And when you have a special guy like an Aaron Rodgers or a, or a Brady or a Mahomes or an Allen even, why you wouldn't give that guy the chance to win the game for you, as opposed to your average to kind of crappy defense. Yeah. I, that, that was, that was mind boggling for sure. So, all right, let's get into some ask skinny anything. And we've got to start off this week's with a question for, from our friend over at uh, ESPN 1530 and 700 WW Mo Egger. So most question is this skinny. He says rank in order of who had the best career starting from the bottom. And here are the 13 people Starting that he lists. Starting from the bottom, out. now we're here. Nice, Drake. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Trizzy Skinner. Uh, thir- 13 guys here. Michael Tucker, Eddie Lee Wilkins, Cecilio Guante, Sean Landetta, Tom Tumulty, Steve Jeltz, John Gum, Bubby Brister, Nancy McKeon, Mark Eaton, Jeff Cotherin, Aaron Crickstein, and Josh Falk. Fog was one of the worst ever. The worst to ever do it, man. Uh, okay. Oh, so, so, so my question for you before I do this, and and I, I I did have to research some of this. I knew all these people, but I did. I so full full disclosure. I researched it just so I could give a, a good solid answer to this. Um, how many of these people off the top of your head did you know who they were, other than John Gum? I'm embarrassed to admit. I can tell you. Like exactly who three of them are and what they did. Okay. And I have like, I've heard the names and kind of know who a couple of the others right. are. So, like, so like let, me, let me get, let me, I would put in the, the latter category. Yeah. I was, I, I thought you would have known Bubby Brister. So you knew Mark Eaton, I'm assuming, correct? As a basketball fan. Yeah. And, and like Bubby Brister, I know who he is, but I couldn't give you like any specifics of what his career was like. To be I'm gonna, I have I'm, no idea where I, you would rank a guy like that. I'm going to guess you knew Sean Landetta. Yes. Yes. And I knew Michael Tucker, obviously. And I knew, did you John know Nancy? Gum. Did you know Nancy McKeon? No. Okay. Well, you'll be surprised where I rank Nancy McKeon on okay. this list. All right. You ready? Yes. Coming in at last place is Steve Jeltz light hitting shortstop for the Phillies career two ten batting average career five seventy six OPS. That's as bad as it gets. <laughs> I mean, if you're putting Steve Jeltz in any ranking of any category ever, other than maybe shortstops that came out of whatever high school he came out of, 
um, where he'd clearly, I'm sure, be number one. Um, he would be among the last on the list. So Steve Jelts for sure. Josh Fogg pitched one year for the Reds. He pitched uh, he pitched in the big leagues actually to the point where I think he had like a 60 and 70 record, but a career ERA of 528, including an ill-fated year with the Reds where his ERA was 728 and he somehow got 22 starts that year. I wish I didn't know who Josh Fogg was for the record. Josh Fogg comes in at number 12 on the list. Number 11 is Middletown's finest Jeff Cothran, who uh, did start 28 games at fullback for the Bengals in the mid-90s, but a career 191 rushing yards. He was pretty much just a, a blocker, but did start 28 games in the NFL. So that, that, that he, he, he comes that's in That's got to be our guy Chick Ludwig's favorite guy on no this question. list. Oh, no, no question. He's snot bubbles. He's knocking snot bubbles out of people. Uh, right above him is the great linebacker Tom Tumulty, who uh, played 31 games with 18 starts on some bad, bad Bengals teams of the 90s. I believe his career was cut short by a... Uh, was it a neck injury? He got his career was cut short by injury, I believe. And, and even when it wasn't, he wasn't very good. So he comes in at number 10. Number nine, Eddie Lee Wilkins, who was, believe it or not, a sixth round pick of the New York Knicks back in the days when the NBA draft was six rounds. Kind of spent a, a journeyman's career in the league, but did have 1,500 career points. And you're look, you're thinking ahead of Tom Tumulty, Jeff Coughlin, Josh Fogg, Steve Jeltz. Yes, Eddie Wilkins. He spent a long enough time in the league. Uh, kicked some time in, in, in my favorite league, the CBA. Uh, as well, I'm going to guess he probably came to town to play against the Cincinnati Slammers, and I was probably at a game where uh, the Slammers were. Um, I was a slam. By the way, we had that question last week about schlock teams to come back. I did love me some Cincinnati Slammers of the CBA. That's where I got a chance to see Phil Jackson coaching, uh, cut his coaching chops. Um, and was always impressed that Phil Jackson actually coached in the Cincinnati Gardens against the uh, Cincinnati Slammers. So anyway, okay, so we'll add Slammers to your list from last week. Though. Yes, correct. That now. Correct. And Number eight. Record. Solid middle reliever, Cecilio Guante. Solid middle reliever with Pittsburgh, the Yankees, and Texas. A career 340 ADRA, had about 50 career saves. That's a pretty good career, right? Yeah. Okay. Number seven is Moe's guy, Michael Tucker. Over 1,000 career hits and 125 career homers. I think he fits right in the middle of the pack of this. Ken Griffey Light. Ken Griffey Light, exactly. Number six, and yes, Moe's probably going to be mad about this because I rank him ahead of Michael Tucker, Bubby Brister. Bubby had 75 career starts, most of them with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and most of them weren't very good. But he did win two Super Bowl rings as a backup to John Elway in Denver in 97 and 98. That, 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 you you got to get something for the Super Bowl rings, Rick. Shout out to Terrell Davis. Shout out to Terrell Davis. That's what John Elway needs. Number five, Mark Eaton. Good, solid 11-year NBA career. The Utah Jazz, he was the center on some of those Carl Malone, John Stockton teams. Um, he made an all-star game. Um, was always among the league leaders in, in block shots and led the league four or five times in block shots. So uh, Mark Eaton comes in there. Number four is Aaron Crickstein, a tennis player. He actually is the youngest player to ever win an ATP tour title when he did it at age 16, but never could quite get over the hump in majors. He got to a couple of semis. Um, I think got to the fourth round of Wimbledon, but a very, very accomplished tennis player at number four. Number three, the actress Nancy McKeon. You'll probably have to Google her when we're done with this to find out who she is. Um, very underrated looking back in the day. She was in the Facts of Life where everybody liked the blonde Blair. Do you watch any? You, you don't watch me TV very much, do you? No, I do not. Yeah. I'm looking at Nancy McKeon now, and even even uh, yeah. at her older age, she's looking pretty yes. good. Yes, yeah. Uh, very, very long and lengthy career as an actress, but uh, known mostly for the Facts of Life, playing the kind of tomboyish Joe and kind of had a crush on Nancy McKeon back in the day. Not going to lie to you there. Number two is punter Sean Landetta. And you're thinking, punter? Three-time All-Pro, selected to the all-1980s NFL team as the punter, punted for 21 seasons, 
and won two Super Bowls. That's pretty accomplished, right? That's pretty good. Sean Landetta comes in at number two. And number one, man, it's my guy, the gummer, John Gum, chief meteorologist. And the biggest part of that is his career is still going strong when all these others have fizzled out in the, the, the careers that they were in. So it's clear cut to me that Channel 12, Local 12 chief meteorologist John Gum is number one on this list. Speaking of being at the height of your powers, I think it's pretty clear that Gummer is just getting started. No question. He's entering and his power prime right now. He's entering his power prime for sure. And, and really, there's no let up in sight. I don't you know, see one. People have kind of, fade. I mean, even Nancy McKean, yeah, she makes one of those probably silly lifetime movies every once in a while just to get a check. Well, you, you, you know what? That's it. funny. I was just looking it up, and that's exactly. It's like her last few IMDb things are "You Light Up My Christmas" TV movie, which ah, yeah, the Hallmark Channel. Prime. Movies. It was apparently on Prime, but I assumed it was Hallmark. And the Love Begins. Sure. In, yeah. So yeah, that's exactly what she's doing now. Sure. So again, ranking them backwards, Steve Jeltz. Josh Fogg, Jeff Cothran, Tom Tumulty, Eddie Lee Wilkins, Cecilio Guante, Michael Tucker, Bubby Brister, Mark Eaton, Aaron Crickstein, Nancy McKeon, Sean Landetta, and number one on the list, the gummer, John Gum. Shout out to John Gum. Great, great question from Mo. Really yes. appreciate him Love chiming it. in Love as it. always. All right. Legit sports question here to, to get back into things. Should UC fans be worried about John Brand's recruiting? This year's class is empty, and next year's isn't looking much better, according to prospect crystal ball predictions from various recruiting sites. What say you, Skinny? I'd say yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if that's the, where we stand with this, then, then the answer is yes. Now, we are now in the year of the transfer portal, so that always adds interesting nuggets to the mix, and, and, and that's probably the route he's going to have to go. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say yes at this point. Um, what say you? I wouldn't be as worried about John Brandon's recruiting because the guys that he's brought in, in terms of his recruits, I think have worked. The The issue he's had is he hasn't found the right stopgap guys. And that's really hard to do. We saw Travis Steele struggle with the same thing, right? The, the Kyle Castlins of the world, the Ryan Wellages of the world didn't quite pan out. Bryce Moore, same deal. It, it, they didn't provide that lift that you needed. And really, you know, I think Javen Cumberland actually played okay for UC. He didn't give them maybe enough to to overcome some of their other deficiencies on, on that team and and more importantly, his his cousin's issues that he had. But I think that's been the big issue is John Brand hasn't been able to get those stopgap pieces to work. The young guys that he's brought in, I mean, Davenport is better than I expected. Harvey's looking like he's starting to come around a little bit. Uh, now there's obviously a concern with Gabe Madsen. What's going on there? Is he going to be a part of the program going forward after this year? And I understand people hand wringing about not having anything for next year. But the one thing I would tell you is the guys you miss on in recruiting hurt you a lot more than the guys you didn't get. So in other words, the, the guys that yeah, you, no, you're you bring right, into your program right. that can't play sure. and are taking up scholarships and, and make you have to turn your roster over constantly, those are the things that will cost you more down the road. So in a year where you couldn't go out and see guys in person and John and his staff were still fairly new at UC anyway, I don't know that he should have like gone out and just made sure he signed some guys in the early signing period just to make fans feel better about it. I have no issue with the, the fact that he doesn't have anyone signed for next year. The bigger concern right now is – who on this team is good enough to to turn this thing around in the next year or so? I think that's the bigger concern is how many pieces does he actually have that are a part of this team's future and part of the solution? Because they're definitely going to be active in the transfer portal. And, you know, I still think there may be a high school guy out there at some point for them when things all, all shake out that can maybe help. But 
you're going to need some of these guys from the last two years to lead you. You're going to need an upperclassman, a guy with some experience in your system to lead you the next two years when you, you need to be turning this thing around. And that would be my bigger concern is who in the program right now is, is ready to take you there because I don't know that you're going to find a, a go-to guy in recruiting and maybe you can find like a, a leading scorer through the transfer portal and and that combined with a david julia the julius and a, a davenport and a michael adams woods as a role player as your fourth fifth or sixth type guy maybe that's enough but yeah i mean i think there are there are concerns about the overall personnel grouping that he has for going forward for the next few years but i don't think it's an issue of like john brandon and his, and his staff haven't recruited all that well because i do think they've they've found some guys that work and and have, have played well for them yeah and, and the unfortunate part is when you haven't played for a month plus you don't know if they're making progress or not and they can't practice this whole year has just been a, a five ring circus in that regard well and i think that's my that would be my biggest issue right now is like Zach Harvey was looking like he was starting to find a groove and maybe come into his own a little bit. And, and maybe he was going to be a part of that solution. And then all of a sudden you just shut everything down for six games. That's just brutal right now because, well, and it's not, it's not, as you know, it's not just the games. I mean, you're not practicing either. You're hoping guys are conditioning on their own. Um, but it, it's, it's the conditioning, it's the practice, it's the reps. It's a lot. I mean, just shutting it down is hard, man. Yeah, the, the 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 lack of development and finding out exactly what you have in a couple of these guys, Harvey being the, the biggest one in my opinion right now, is is hurting them. So, uh, yeah, again, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about their ability to recruit overall, but their current roster situation would be a bit of concern. In honor of Lindsey Patterson reminding me of the show Coach, what is your favorite fictional sports TV show? This is coming from our guy Dave. Um, fictional, but I was a big coach fan. Um, you like huge. coach? I love Jerry Van Dyke. I thought he was outstanding. I liked the big stupid blonde guy. Um, I like. I had a crush on Coach's daughter. I mean, I always thought she was pretty, pretty good looking. Um, I just like the premise of that show. I was never a Friday Night Lights guy. Oh, really? Because that's exactly uh, where I was going. I think that's number I know, I one for me. Were. There's a lot of sports movies that were made into, into tried to make into TV shows, and they really just didn't work. And I don't know. I don't know why that is. Yeah, um, I, th- I think it's got to be Friday Night Lights is the, the best yeah, of, I just of all time. Uh, th- hanging with Mr. Cooper was pretty cool if you can on Saturday mornings, <laughs> so if you consider that a sports well, show. He what was, was that guy's coach. name? Mark, what was his name? The actor. I'm drawing a complete blank. He was actually a pretty good basketball player too, right? It was uh, Mark. I mean, Mark he was Cooper? a good basketball coach. It yeah. was Mark Cooper. Yeah, former okay, NBA Mark player. Cooper. Yeah. Okay, yeah. He's a basketball coach in Oakland. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, well, I will tell you, back in my day, the White Shadow. Ken Howard is the white shadow, kind of a similar. He was a white coach coaching in an inner city school, um, dealt with all kinds of different issues. The basketball in it was just horrific. They played with the old school backboards, the 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 wooden backboards at the school they played on. But I just like that show. Uh, did you ever watch Sports Night? I like sports. You know what's funny? I love Sports Night, actually, because I thought they really it was kind of a sp- been off to some degree of Olbermann and Patrick, the way those two guys played off each other. Um, I did like it uh, quite a bit. It's funny. It didn't last long. You can't even find it for a while. It was running on reruns, maybe on comedy uh, central, maybe a decade or so ago, but yeah, I did like sports night. Did you? Yeah. I have not gotten all the way through it. I started it in college at one point. And here's the thing. I'm, Aaron Sorkin is insufferable at times. And I understand the issues people have with them, but I do really like 
the way his shows are written in his movie. Like I like the walk and talk. I, West Wing is my favorite show ever. So I'm a, a Sorkin fanboy, I'd say. And this is a Sorkin deal. So it is um, it seems right up my alley. I really need to go back and watch it. And now that I'm looking it up, it is uh, available on prime so if, okay uh, and yeah. if you want to go back and watch it that's where you can find it as well so i mean am i, am I right in thinking that that was kind of a dan patrick keith olbermann takeoff to a little degree oh i think that was the point of it yeah yeah yeah, yeah it was done in 1998 so that would right. make sense in terms right. of the timing right all right uh skinny your favorite city to cover a road game doesn't matter what sport Mm-mm-mm-mm. i'll go i'll go atlanta nashville's darn close um Ah, you know what? It's an extended period of time. Nashville's got to be up there. Um, they're just—it's just so easy just to walk around Nashville and just have a really good time. Uh, the, the problem for NFL road games—it's literally you're in a town on a Saturday night, cover the game on a Saturday, fly back out on Monday, so you really just have the Saturday Saturday night thing. And I—I I, I love Atlanta, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I think I'll go with Nashville. I mean, I've covered an NFL game there, a couple of NFL games there. I covered a couple of SEC tournaments there. Um, which obviously gave you an extended time. I covered an NCAA tournament there, um, the one where David West and Xavier played and Kentucky played uh, down there at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I'm going Nashville. And I know that sounds probably too easy because it's close, but, yeah, Nashville for me. I have not covered any sporting events in Nashville. I have covered sporting events in Atlanta multiple times now, and that's a pretty good one. You know the one that uh, gets slept on because I think it's too close to us is Indy. I, I love think Indy is a love great Indy. spot to go uh, to if you got to be there just for a night or two. Yeah, um, you went up there the, the last time I think uh, when I was working at the Inquirer, uh, right? Yeah, you, yeah you we went up I went with, up with, with you, Paul yeah. Dana and myself, and we we uh, we had a really good time that night in in Indy. So yeah, I'm, I'm I've had multiple good nights in Indy. Combines up there, usually try to stay over one night and 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 hang out with coaches and 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 riders and just shoot the bull and yeah. drink some beer. Yeah, I, I'm a everything's walkable. Right, good restaurants. See, I'm a big I'm bars. a big everything walkable guy. I'm kind of with you in that yep. regard. Very safe feeling. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. Where you're, where you're at. Yeah. So yeah, I would put Indy up there. Um, you know, it, I'm got the whole horizon league thing going on. So, uh, Indy is one of those stops. Chicago is a, a great stop. Yeah. I think depending, stop. you got to be in the right spot, but, yes. uh, where we stay for the UIC trip is, is a really good spot to be at. And, um, you know, one I just added this weekend for the first time that I actually really enjoyed was the, suburbs of Pittsburgh area that we were in for Robert Morris was actually a great spot in terms of the, the airport Marriott we stayed at had everything right around it with regards to restaurants and stuff like that. So when we come back and everything's fully open, I think we'll have no problem, you know, finding a spot to eat on an off day or, or finding somewhere to go after games to, to get a drink and a sandwich or something and like I, that. I'm not going to lie to you, man. And, and, and a lot of Bengals riders would, would back me up on this. One of our favorite trips, it is a clear cut because it's drivable. It always feels like we go up there um, at a time where the, the great lakes Christmas sale is flowing and flowing freely Cleveland, man. Cleveland is a fun trip for us. We love it. It's it's I mean, the stadium is right by the hotel. Um, you do have to get an Uber to go to where we usually go eat. And but then there's usually bars to walk to. Um, yeah, the Winking Lizard's it, I, a great. Spot. I've never I've never had a bad time in Cleveland. I, I covered an NCAA tournament in Cleveland back in the early 2000s. 
Um, it was at, actually at Cleveland State is where they played, uh, but we stayed right downtown. Um, and uh, I, I, Cleveland, I know people laugh at that a lot of times. Cleveland's great. No, I would, I would totally agree with you. Especially, it's, it's a, it's one of those cities where if you're there for one night or two nights, it's perfect. I mean, yeah, you don't, you're not going to vacation to Cleveland, obviously, and there's not a ton to do if you're, uh, you don't want to move there, maybe. But in terms of, for the purpose of covering a sporting event, you have got a good background, like the Marriott we stay at downtown there because obviously nku plays is that the one right in the circle yeah i mean it's out and you've got the uh football stadium and the and the water right there right right there right there it's yeah it's really pretty to wake up to um in terms of cleveland um and no i'm I'm agreeing with you i it's very solid and and let me let me me throw new orleans in the mix my liver probably didn't survive that week of the sec tournament in new orleans but the hotel was literally right next to the to the superdome so you could walk to the games and then you know you take a cab down to the french quarter and spend the night walking around drinking every night and i don't i still don't know how i survived that whole week i i don't it was a lot of work and a lot of fun and um new orleans is one of those ones where give it to me every seven or eight years and i'll take it don't give it to me every year I hear you on that. One of the added bonuses to trips now for me has been the states that have legalized betting that Mm -hmm. you get in there and Hey, there's nothing to do. We're just in the hotel on a Friday night or whatever, having a a beer or now all of a sudden, you know, like in Pennsylvania this weekend, the barstool app, the DraftKings app is flowing. You can get on, you can bet games. Heck they have virtual casinos in there if you're into that type of stuff. So, I mean, that is, that is a major difference, especially if you're on a work trip where, you know, you're not necessarily going out with friends. You're not going to be going wild or anything like that. You have some earlier nights. It gives you a little something extra to do while you're in, in the town. So agreed. Yeah. Uh, if you and skinny could have any animal as a pet, it won't eat you. It's completely trained and domesticated, etc. What pet would it be? For instance, I would take a red panda. And I do not think he means the uh, little lady who throws bowls on her heads at halftime. Shows. Oh, my heavens. I'm taking what I got. I got my, I, I've got two Shih Tzus. I love my Shih Tzus. I don't want anything else. I, I don't. What do you want me to say? Snake? Lizard? Tiger? No, well, I, like, yeah. I like what I got. You like your dog, right? Yeah, I, I love the, uh, I'm a girl, the golden retriever, but I would say like, if I could just have a pet wolf that was totally domesticated, that would be kind of cool. The okay. problem is you can't take the wolf to the dog park though. Right. Everybody's going to get scared off by the daggone yeah, thing. It's and worse all, than having and, a pit bull. And, and, and you, know, you can say he's domesticated because that's the way we had this question played out to us. So trust me, this is the most domesticated wolf. Oh, I'm sorry. He just ate your small child. But this is a nice wolf. <laughs> uh, yeah, come on. Well, if it was pers- perfectly trained and you knew that for a fact, like that, it would be sweet to just take. I mean, you could go out into the wilderness maybe by yourself and just run around with your wolf and not worry. That would be cool. Also, like a big cat. Having any well, types did, of tigers see, or panthers you, or have leopards. Have you cool. seen the picture or the video of the guy who rescued a, a, a lion as a cub, I believe, and he hadn't seen it in like seven years. And I guess the thing was going bonkers when he saw this dude. They opened the cage and they actually had a cage between, I think, the guy in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the line at this point. But the lion came up like the most affectionate thing ever. It, re- it remembered. Yes, Skinny, we all watched Tiger King during quarantine. I know what you're oh, talking about. Not that tight. Yeah. How about that poor guy with the limo thinking he was getting out? Joe right? Exotic still in prison. How bad is that? He, he he had the limo. They had the limo backed up, the stretch limo, ready to get him out of there on pardon day, and it didn't come. Look, he's a terrible guy, and I think he probably deserves to be in jail. But after what he did to bring this country together, together. in yes. our darkest times this past year, we should let him out. He has where, earned his way out. Where would we all be without the Tiger King for a 
month. Uh, right? I mean, probably in the exact same spot, but it was nice. Well, it was yeah, a nice month of distraction, and we got to talk about something. Yes, during those exactly. Zooms. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I say let the Tiger King out. All right. Um, final question. Skinny is the head coach of a basketball team. Who rounds off the staff for Skinny's dream coaching team? Hmm. So, well, I guess it depends. I, I'd have to have my guy, Chris McGuire, who I've coached with for a long time. And, uh, <laughs> we wanted, I, I, he's just, he's a fat, I think he's a great X and O guy. And uh, uh, it's like, sorry, Brad Stevens. I no, was going to yeah, offer you a spot, I'm sorry. but I'm Chris sorry. McGuire he, was here. He, so he would, he would, he would, he, he would you're, absolutely be, be my guy. I mean, you're a I, big, he's my guy guy. Exactly. I mean, he's the guy that he's the one that can occasionally stand up to me and go, no, that's a bad decision. Or he can give me a suggestion. I go, no, that's that. I'm not doing that. We didn't, we didn't rep it. I don't like it. And he's more than happy to just come back with a suggestion the next time. And um, usually the suggestions are really good. You wouldn't want a bunch of yes men like Izzo and, and coach K around you. I get it. No. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, the thing is though, could, would, would those guys want to be assistants? You think Izzo would want to come back and be an assistant or Brad Stevens would well, want to come back and be an assistant? Well, look, I look at this as like the domesticated pet rule. We just had in the last question. You get like whoever you want to be your assistants and okay, they understand their role as assistants. Okay. I'll tell you what Brad Stevens would be up there. Cause he, he, whatever he does development wise, I think is off the charts. And I think his drill stuff is fantastic. And just underneath out of bounds plays would be pretty sick. Uh, no, that would, be, that would be the Chris Mack rule. Chris Mack would be my underneath out of bounds. Guy. Oh, okay. Chris Mack underneath out of bounds. He, he is underneath good. out of bounds guys. So, okay. We'll play this exercise. And for whatever <laughs> reason, Bob McKillop at Davidson, what that cat Ooh. has done. Yep. He's really good. And I'll, I'll round it out with this. I get four. Cause usually you got what four assistants thereabouts. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, you get, you get three assistants and you can have like a uh, you can have him be your special assistant, to the head coach or oh, I, I, you know, that, that is. And I think it was a, a genius move by uh, by Juwan Howard, Phil Martelli. Oh, OK. So I got Phil Martelli. I got Chris Mack for underneath out of bounds. Um, and if I went back, if I was coaching high school girls basketball, it'd definitely be Chris Mack because that's where he got his start coaching Mount Notre Dame. So um if I, if I go back and do that, certainly Chris would be on the staff somewhere. Plus you could have like Christy to help out a little bit. That's true too. She, she'd just coach. be, yell, she'd be yelling stuff from the stands anyway. So that yep. would be, she'd be second guessing everything I did anyway, which would be fine. Um, she probably second guesses Chris all the time too. Uh, so Bob McKillop, Brad Stevens, uh, Phil Martelli and Chris Mack. That's pretty good. I mean, that's a, I, I like the answer to that. I don't think that's everyone's like right off the top of their head answers, but those are good. All right. I appreciate that. Yeah. Who'd you have? You got, you got, you got one that you would do. I didn't have it off the top of my head, but I, I like some of the names you're throwing out there. I mean, Brad Stevens for me would be an obvious one. Just I from, love his. I don't know how much I, I when you coach, I don't know who you know who you took stuff from, but man, I, I found so many good drills that he did that just blow me away. Yeah, I mean, they're he, really practical. They're not just drills for drills sake. They're practical. Yep. No, I'm 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 all in on the Brad St- Brad Stevens bandwagon. I still watch to this day a lot of like his sets because so many college teams take them and use it. And I'm not saying like he invented all of these, like a lot of things are just being repackaged or stolen from previous coaches that were great, but uh, he has clearly compiled, you know, the the best list of them seemingly, because he has such great set plays that you constantly see being used by other teams. So I'll still watch videos of the stuff that he's running. Um, I would take Steve Kerr on my list, although people are really questioning him now. I just think he talks to, stars well i, I think like so too i, I, I like his demeanor i like the way he's a, he is around guys i think he's like a good personality guy even if he doesn't know what he's doing coaching i'm gonna take eric spolstra 
I think a highly underrated tactician. That, that's a good call. I think uh, he it, really understands flow of the game. Yep. Matchups. Like, you know, everyone brings up adjustments. Yeah, you're, you're, think, going, you're going a lot more NBA guys on your staff. I'm going a lot more college guys. Yeah, and I think Spolstra is a, is a, a great adjustments guy. Um, man, who would my last guy be? How about Hubie Brown? Absolutely freaking not. Oh, I love I, you, bro. What, I, uh, I need I, a great what, what, recruiter is my what, issue. What about Stan Van Gundy or, or Jeff Van Gundy? I think I would uh, get Cal. I think I'd take Cal. Uh, good call. Yeah. Good call. Cal gets you some players to go five and ten. Well, but uh, he doesn't have to coach them, see? He good can, call. He can just help us get into the five-star living rooms. and uh, <laughs> There you go. Then we'll have Brad and Stevens got, develop them. Correct. And Spolster coaches them up, and you just have your little card of sets, and you just start right. Brad, give me a set. And, okay. hey, hey, they're all working for me anyways. I'll right. coach them up. Don't worry about it. I can develop right. a player. That's no issue. There you go. All right, there we go. I like that question. That was a good that question. That was a great question. I was. Yeah, I don't know I like the that, Thank you. Yep, very much. All right, thanks for being with us. Mo Egger, thank you for your question. I'm looking forward to hearing what your ranking of those 13 fine folks would be. John Dumb is the top of my list, and at the very bottom is Steve Jeltz. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Folkory edition.